back to the unpack show where we unpack unpacking <laughs> <laughs> so jeff and i didn't actually realize how much we said unpacking until we listened to the episode our first episode again and we had gotten feedback from uh, our listeners we've so. heard your comments <laughs> we found other synonyms to unpack so fear not Firstly, before we start this episode, Jeff and I just really want to say a big thank you to all our listeners um, who have tuned into our first episode and sent in incredibly warm messages of love and support. Honestly, we're super overwhelmed. We didn't expect incredibly. this kind of feedback and engagement. Like To be honest, we just thought that our listeners would just come from our circle of friends and the people mm. we know, but honestly it's surpassed australia um we've had overseas listeners people reach out to us who we don't even know telling us how much they relate to these experiences and um yeah so we just really want to say thank you i mean i think it does speak to the universality of growing up asian in a western country and how important it is to spotlight this narrative um and take up space so yeah feeling very warm and fuzzy about this <laughs> yeah for sure for sure i think a lot of the time when people send through messages, it, it kind of, the, the volume of people that have spoken to us kind of, in a way, speaks to the need for this kind of platform. And it's, again, yeah, it's, it's. <laughs> I, I remember the first couple of days afterwards and um, Isabella and I would just be messaging each other, just like like showing someone who messaged us <laughs> or, or just, being, just being really happy with like the whole outcome of it. And I remember yeah. just feeling like, the, the strangest, strangest state of just, it, it just felt like blank almost. Like I knew mm. I was happy, but I like it felt, it was like something I hadn't really felt before. And I think mm. that kind of segues pretty well into this episode because for me growing up, compliments were a really strange thing. It's mm. It's something that... And I think a lot of people can relate to this because I've spoken to a few people about it, but compliments are something that still make me quite uncomfortable um, because mm, yeah. of the nature of how it was introduced and used in my household um, mm, in the sense that yeah. it wasn't... I I rarely heard compliments from my parents. It was always like, do better or, mm. you know, you, you could like... you got to push yourself a little bit more. And the only time we heard compliments or that I heard compliments was doing like, I've, I've been calling them a showcase. And it's basically <laughs> like when your parents go out and, you know, they're with their family friends and all their kids are there. And it's basically just like, they're just showing off their kids. Mm. And it's, it's basically like, oh, you know, my kid did this. He came first in this <laughs> random competition or like, you know, they're doing this. And it's like, that's the only time you'd hear a compliment. And the whole time I'll just be sitting there like, why doesn't, why don't you ever say that? Oh my God, exactly. You never say this yeah. stuff about me at home. I yeah. completely relate. Like I think to this day, I still struggle to take a compliment. Some will be like, oh, like, wow, you're so good at this. Or like, that's really cool. And I'll be like, no, 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 no. Like it's you, yeah. you know, look at yourself. Don't um, push it away. Don't push it no, away. No, <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. you know, I think that's something we should work on because, you know, we it is. definitely work on that. There is something to, you know, take pride in, you know, like owning your accomplishments and what you've done. So, yeah, we want to say thank you um, and we really appreciate all your support. Um, yes, thank you so much. Yeah, but it's, it's pretty funny though. I mean, Jeff and I were talking about this just earlier and, you know, I told my parents about this and they were like, wait, what's a podcast? And to be honest, <laughs> I didn't even know the Vietnamese word for podcast, so I had to Google translate that. Um, oh, I've but... no Chinese word for podcast. <laughs> they were like, is it a radio? Like, are you going to be like on like the you know when we're driving and everything are you going to be like there and I'm like no 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 so I think um that in itself is very uh typical of like actually I feel like a lot of children of immigrant parents you do a lot of these things and um they don't really understand um but they know it's something good so uh <laughs> yeah yeah exactly mom was <laughs> classic Asian parents um my mom was asking me the other day she was like oh you know how's your podcast going and I was like, no, it's really, really good. And she was like, how many people listen to it? And I was like, oh, a couple hundred people. She's like, what? Only? <laughs> like, why haven't like it's a couple hundred enough. thousand people listened to it? And I was just like, mom, <laughs> we, literally, <Baby> steps. <laughs> we literally launched our first episode like a few weeks ago. And she was like, don't the really good ones get like millions of views in like a couple, a couple days or something? I'm like, oh, God. 
Um, oh, and slowly I guess, but surely. <laughs> exactly. And that's what this episode is about. Mm. This episode is about, you know, how we were raised, our relationship to our parents, the things they taught us, the things they, the environment they fostered and how that has really implicated um, a lot of the behaviors we do even to this day. And to be honest, probably for potentially the rest of our lives and mm. kind of trying to explore. See, I'm, I'm trying not to say unpack anymore. I was so close to, <laughs> to, I'm so close to saying it. But trying to, trying to understand some of these, why we do some of the things that we do and in the hopes that potentially if you're, you still sort of don't understand or you're not actively aware of some of the actions you do, perhaps listening to this episode will allow you to come to terms with some of those things a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so again, back. I don't know. I keep talking about. I keep talking about my mum, but essentially for me, my mum was, and is still kind of like the controller in my life. Uh, I think Mm. I mentioned in my last episode that my dad used to work in China. I didn't see him until I was about eight years old. So growing up, it was just my mum and I, and basically like now the person I want approval from the most is still my mom. Mm. And she's sort of always had that huge influence in my life and, you know, absolute tiger mom. And she's loosened, she's loosened off a lot now, but it was, it took a while to fully understand why she raised me like that. Mm. And I'll get, I'll get into that a little bit later, Mm. but yeah. So I guess like the first thing we want to talk about is the, it's the idea of guilt. Let's dive right in. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess for both of us, there's this underlying sense of constant guilt. Um, but everything we do somehow relate back to our parents and I guess the sacrifices they have made for us. And I guess this presence really does pervade every aspect of our lives, whether it's the relationships that we enter or the careers that we pursue or the things that we study. I feel like subconsciously, yeah, like you, like I constantly seek the approval of my parents, even though they never outwardly ask for this, if that makes sense. Mm. I mean, I think there is a degree of that in tiger parenting, but it's, I guess in my situation, at least it was never overt. Um, but I guess before we delve right in, what do you think is the definition of a tiger parent? Like, how do you define tiger parenting? Oh, okay. Because <laughs> um. <laughs> I feel like it's such a spectrum, right? Like, I say I have tiger parents, but I think on the spectrum of tiger parenting, they weren't, like, completely, True. I guess, like, True. super strict. Um, yeah. They so, weren't, but, you know, yeah. there were degrees. Yeah. No, that's really interesting you pick it up. It's definitely a spectrum. I think... I would say you can be a tiger parent if you forced your children to do a bunch of extracurriculars Mm. that you thought would aid them in future development and you were strict about enforcing them. Mm -hmm. So that I reckon that's like a basic definition because that ties into a lot of other things. It doesn't have to be like the extracurriculars, but it's the idea that like they're taking away things from you that potentially other children might have Mm. um so you're doing these extra sort of activities that might help you out later on but Mm. within that spectrum i'm sure there's like different levels so it's like you could just send your kid to extra math tutoring but you don't force them to play an instrument Mm. highly unlikely (laughs) they always come hand in hand (laughs) yeah shoot us a message if that was you because you'd be really interested to hear about that (laughs) um and then there's like you know English and maths plus violin, etc. And I think like at the other end, I don't think I've yet to meet a parent who's on the absolute other end. Oh, but like no, what do you think no, what no. do you think is like the highest degree of tiger parent? Like literally like locked in a cage. I look, <laughs> like would it be like on the verge of abuse, you know? Like I think Ooh, I, you know, I, I think that's kind of when it will probably be within the realm of like, all right, okay, this is like going too far. But yeah. you know, I, I think for most people and most children, um, not children, but you know, children of immigrant parents, tiger parenting does really come down to yeah, like you mentioned, aiding children with particular skills that parents believe mm. that will 
you know enable them to um, pursue successful careers and consequently lives and um, I actually read an article re- recently um, from this guy called Ryan Park from the New York Times um, and I want to quote it and I think it really does encapsulate the root of tiger parenting mm-hmm. and it's this idea that and I quote for many new arrivals um, I guess you know immigration into western countries you know immigrants would bring these two cultural values that would carry their children far you know firstly it's this new religious devotion to education as the key to social mobility and a belief that academic achievement depends mostly on effort rather than inborn ability and we talked about this Mm. in our last episode where you know it's so important to be able to equip your children with these skills when you do immigrate to a new country because you're building from the ground up and i think social mobility is definitely something that is prioritized and therefore when you are parenting children the key to that is to empower them through education so i think there's there's this kind of helicoptering um around children to be parents because they want their children to succeed because they because the parents themselves may not have had so that's the same level of success you know exactly. like yeah. my parents for example only one of them technically went to university you know and same yeah and and it's it's so weird for me to like look at my life and think that i'm one of the very first people in my family to mm. even get a tertiary education which is something that it's like a, it's a privilege but it's also a really big burden um yeah i mean is that something that you feel like constantly plagues you to an extent yeah no exactly like i feel like i have to be almost selective yeah in what i do um like everything so many decisions i make um there's a constant thought that does this fit in line with like the Mm. vision that my parents had for me and that sort of led to me hiding a lot of things from them um whether that be uh social things or like you know skills that i'm like trying to develop like so much of what they're telling us is to prioritize those things that have lower risk in a lot of ways like Mm. you get a education you get your tertiary degree you get this like nice paying steady job it's low risk like when i told them i was starting a podcast they were like the first thing they said not like what's it about the name or mm. you know that sort of stuff was is this going to distract you from your job mm. you know yeah that, that that's yep. the sort of mentality that um i grew up with and i'm sure a lot of people did as well mm. but yeah. it does just feed into so much of you know the reason why they moved over here it's mm. like they moved to a different country to give you a better life to increase mm. your social mobility yeah and absolutely i think it's a two-way streak they want you to do better and then you feel like you have to do better mm. oh my god such a double-edged sword sword yeah hey. exactly, um, exactly and i think that is why there's this stereotype and to an extent there is a kernel of truth in that of you know yeah. Asian parents funneling this, the kids into becoming doctors and lawyers yeah. and engineers because these are typically safe jobs. Yeah. And I remember growing up, I remember asking my parents, oh my God, like, what do you think about, you know, me pursuing a career, like, you know, as a singer <laughs> or as a dancer or an yeah. artist? I want to be a fireman. Like, <laughs> 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 you know, like typically, you know, children, they have these, you know, amazing um, aspirations to pursue the arts or like be creative. Yeah. And then I remember distinctly being in the car and they were like, hey, now, like, think about this, you know, are you really going to make an, like a lot of money? Like if you pursue, you know, a life as an artist. And yeah. I remember they were like, look, you can do that, but do it as a hobby. Um, and I remember that really stuck with oh me God, and it was crazy. so saddening. I um, know. But I think it comes down to like what you said, low risk things, you know? Yeah. I literally, I've heard that exact same phrase <laughs> so many times. Um, so fun fact, I actually wanted to drop out of high school in year 10. No. To become a chef. Oh my so, god! Yeah, so cooking is my biggest passion mm. in life, and I'm still determined to do something food related at some point in my life. Um, but I think I was just like I wasn't doing incredibly well at school, and th- I just wasn't. I just didn't want to study anymore. And I was loving cooking, and it's all I ever wanted to do. And then mm. I told my parents, and it was just 
that's a hobby that's not a real job like yeah. do you do you understand like the hours you work you make no money yeah that sort of stuff and then like your argument as a kid is just like oh but you know i'm passionate about it yes yeah. oh my god and they're like but that doesn't get you money you know mm. that doesn't get you a, like a you, you that doesn't allow you to buy a house in the future yes that doesn't allow you to <laughs> essentially like feed into the system of creating wealth for future mm. generations mm. it's like and, yeah yeah no i was gonna say and it's so interesting because you really do see i guess that cultural clash in ideology where you have you know in western countries this idea of the individual pursuit of happiness do what yeah. you love like you know work like, do what you're passionate about you know work a day in your life right whereas mm. i think in a lot of um asian cultures happiness does derive from security and security yeah. derives from financial security and with that comes from stable quote unquote jobs so yeah, yeah i completely relate to that and i'm sure so yeah. many other people do as well um no, but i sure. mean you know I, I i guess now cooking is a hobby for you like it's not as yeah, if like it's... you have stopped that passion no no i do it as as much as i can yeah um so <laughs> <laughs> i don't think it's something that I'll ever stop doing just because, mm. yeah, I love it so much. But mm. I think the point of guilt a lot of the time, I think it has strong ties to the idea of respect. Yeah. Um, like respect for your parents, respect for what they did. And a concept I want to touch on briefly is it's known as filial piety. Mm. Um, so it's a concept within Confucianism. Uh, and it's essentially... The broad idea is that you respect your elders. Um, it's about respecting uh, the people who brought you up. It's about looking after them when they're old. Uh, it's about bringing honor to your family. So mm. a key concept is when you go out into the world, you are not only representing yourself, you are representing your family. Oh, this hits different. <laughs> the... <laughs> the the burden is placed upon you to bring honor to your family, which sounds so Asian, but that's literally <laughs> like you've brought this honor to your family. Like, that is literally what it is. Like this was definitely said in Mulan and it rings so true to this yeah, day. Like hundred yeah, percent. It does yeah. the weight of expectations, I think is even more amplified as immigrants as well. You know, it's not as if like your parents packed up their lives and moved to a different country for you to bum you know bum out your life right there's this really yep. big weight that's imposed upon you where you've got to show up for your family and yeah do the best you can right yeah <sighs> i know and it's like that's a it's a lot of pressure to put on somebody and it's kind of like when we went out for family dinners i always got like a prep talk you know like mm. in the car she's like you say hello first to everybody you call them by the right title um you do not sit down at the dinner table until the oldest guy sat down tell people mm. to eat dinner mm. and there was just like so many rules but like now it's literally like ingrained in my body like i yeah. literally like it's automatic response like everywhere i go like if i sort of go to someone else's house i'm standing up taller you know yeah. i'm more polite you know yeah and doing all this stuff so that's yeah. something that i don't think we'll ever leave my family no, but to be honest not. i mean it's not it's not really a negative thing the whole respect thing for mm. me i think it's like i think it's nice you know it's, i um, agree i do agree with that yeah 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 exactly so oh, I, just, I don't know just just thinking about all this stuff i'm just like this is so much to think about but they i was reading a i was reading a journal article the other day when they said you know like the idea of filial piety and like respect to your parents is probably the concept of confucianism that's stuck and is still so prevalent in across asia mm. um you you had the same thing growing up right With oh definitely definitely yeah. i mean it was always you know elders people who ate first it was always them who essentially everything that is done revolves around respecting your elders and that's and i think that's that's what informs a lot of um, Asian families. It's quite hierarchical. So yeah. like with my parents, for example, they're my parents. So I remember growing up, I never really understood the idea of being friends with your parents because that's mm. not really a relationship. That is 
engineered yes. and formed by an ideology that is grounded on this respect based on your hierarchy. So I remember at school, like my friends would talk about how, oh my god, my mum and I like are like best I, friends, oh and I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? And I'm no like, yeah, we talk about like boys and like my life, and I was like, wait, oh I do not, I do not relate to that. Like I, you know, like it's it's like a whole different level of um of a relationship I guess not in a bad way but in more of like a you are my parents and I respect you but it's not a friendship um yeah and yeah I I struggle to relate to that do you feel the same way yeah no exactly actually I was going to talk about this later but it was it was exactly like that um moment sorry not moment it was exactly like that it was it was it felt almost transactional yeah, in, a little bit. In, yeah, it was just like, you know, your parents are at home. And it's like, I had two separate personalities, like one mm. for the outside and one for like inside the house. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a lot more quiet in the house. And like, mm. um, I didn't really talk about much. I would never like open up to them. And that only really changed in like the last couple of years. Um but yeah, like all throughout high school, it was it was just like I don't know what my parents thought because they would never tell me anything either. Mm, so it was a two way yeah. thing. No, it was a two way thing. Yeah. And that was kind of the relationship we had for the longest time. And I think uh, one I remember I was telling you about this. I think like the moment that it all changed was when there's this idea in like I don't know Asian cultures that there's you can't really say like I love you to your parents, <gasps> and like I'm always watching it in shows and like or like you know you know I love you and stuff like that to your parents and I'm like oh god that is I, could, I couldn't imagine like saying those words you know yeah but yeah. I I know I know I mean it mm. and I think the moment it kind of ticked over was I, I was thinking about this a few years ago and. The, the saddest thought came into my head that like if my parents god forbid were in a car crash one day like I would have never said those words to them like ever and yeah that made me so incredibly sad and I know they know that I love them mm. but I feel like I don't know if this is just like brainwashing but I feel like it's not real until you say those words Mm. But so have Uh, you said those words to your parents? I have not. Yeah, yeah. I have not. I've, yeah, yeah, I've like opened up to them more. I tell them basically like everything now. Yeah. Uh, Mostly my mom. Dad's kind of like, dad's very quiet. So I think dad always tells mom things and then mom tells me. (laughs) So um, when my parents found out, uh, like I had tattoos, like I told my mom first <laughs> obviously I always tell my mom first and yeah. then my mom told my dad and then my dad told my mom to tell me as <laughs> <laughs> uh, Asians uh we do well with uh, expressing our emotions hey <laughs> yeah yeah and that's again I was gonna talk about it later so like idea of not being able to like mm. say what you feel has no. really impacted mm. my ability to like share feelings yeah um yeah. I feel so uncomfortable in situations where it's highly emotionally charged. Yeah. Um, I think a word that people often describe me as is like chill. <laughs> um, but in all honesty, I think it's just my inability to like express strong emotions. Mm. Mm. And yeah. I think it's just being conditioned into me to like, even if things are bad, you just, you just suck it up and do it. It's like, yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Do you feel that? Um, into well, I don't know. It's interesting, right? Because I feel like I'm a very emotional person. Yeah. I cry a lot. I'll cry yeah. about anything, um, whether it's watching an advertisement or watching a film, or even like you know hearing like a message or like someone sent me something. Like even actually, you know, the feedback that we've gotten from As I Am, some of them have definitely moved me to tears. So yeah. I'm a very emotional person, but weirdly I've had like the same experiences with as you I should say where it's been really hard for me and my family to say I love you to each other just Mm. because it's not a thing that's really said 
I think in most Asian families because yeah. love is rather expressed through actions. It's not as if the love isn't there. Like there's so mm. much unconditional love that I know my parents have for me and I have for my parents, but we just never say it. I remember I wrote it down once, like in Vietnamese, and even then that felt kind of weird. Um, but it's, mm. it's interesting, right? And I think, uh, what do you think that really goes down to? Like what's the root of that? Like for me, I actually feel like this may be because love is rather expressed through being obedient and dutiful to your parents, which is why I feel yeah. like it ties back to why we constantly feel pressured and this weight of expectations that's imposed upon us because because we can't say I love you, we express this through our actions and that those actions being following our parents' wishes or doing yeah. things that please them, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So it's interesting, no. but I, I feel like it... Look, I, I even feel like even though I'm an emotional person, it does feel weird to sometimes say I love you to my friends. Um, like I've grown to like love that now and I do that now to my friends. But I remember initially it was very weird. Like I had to almost force myself to say I love you and learn to say I love you in my relationships. But yeah, it really felt really odd. Yeah. It's so, a, uh, yeah, it's a really strange one. It's yeah. <laughs> But I I really wonder, like, I wonder what research says about this. Like, I'm sure there's research articles out there or experiments and sociological studies that have been done that do examine this. And I'm curious to see what what that says, you know, because I'm sure that this is pervasive across so many different Asian cultures and I guess grappling that in a Western country. Yeah, for sure. Now, it's really yeah. interesting that you said, um, like, showing love by, like, being obedient because I think... The happiest I've ever seen my dad was the moment I told him I got a grad job. Like, I actually can't think of another time, which is which is fine, you know. That, that's absolutely fine. But I remember, like, I came home because yeah. I got the call on like the train home, and I I told them, and my dad like ran and like hugged me. Oh. And like, like that has never happened before. I was like shocked again, really <laughs> uncomfortable with the situation. Just kind of yeah. did like a little, like loose wrap around because <laughs> I was like, my dad has never hugged me before. This is weird. Oh my god, it's so relatable. I mean, I think, yeah, but stuff. Yeah, yeah no, stuff like that. You know. Um, yeah. the, I guess like I've I've slowly, I've slowly replicated those behaviors though. The, the the actions of showing love rather than mm. saying them like mm. i think for so many asian people like the biggest thing you can do is food oh like, my god they yes. feed you you know they're yes. like um you were saying like giving you the plate of fruit while you're studying oh my god always like that's that a classic kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah and like now whenever i think of um oh, how do I show someone that I'm really thankful for them? Or like, how mm. do I show someone that I love them or like I really, really mm. like them is I make them food. Like, you know, like I'll make my parents food. I'll, you know, yeah. Yeah, 100%. I agree. I mean, I think this even extends to my grandparents. Like my grandma will always say to me whenever I see her, have you eaten? And I think this also reflects why, you know, you see those typical fights that happen at family dinners or when you're out with like Asian people where you will fight to the death for the bill which is something that yeah. does not happen in western cultures which I find is so interesting and um yeah, yeah I mean affection shout, right? yeah I mean <laughs> affection is expressed so th so much through food and I think that's a really unique aspect of Asian cultures and something that frankly is I think is quite powerful no it is and you know I I love I love the culture of doing those sort of things because I think, yeah, I guess a cheesy way to explain it is just like actions speak yeah. louder than words um, in, in some mm. kind of way. But I think on the I think on the other end of that, because we don't often express um, things like love and, you know, affection through words, sometimes it could potentially be lost in translation. Yeah. Um, in the sense that it's it's very easy for us to understand when someone's like, I love you. Mm, yeah. Mm. It's like you said the words. It's like an instant understanding of that meaning. And I think with actions, you know, there's a few more nuance, nuances around it. There's like the subtleties. And that's why things like overthinking tend to happen. And I think 
potentially this is kind of leads to some Asians having, you know, the like suppressing negative emotions. Mm, oh um, like the idea of that, let's just like, yeah, I said it before. Like I was raised in a culture of you suck it up and you do it, even if you don't like it. Yeah. There's like no time to be like complain and there's no time to be, to be sad about it. You just, you just kind of do oh, it. Oh, definitely. And and I think that's really had some sort of like lasting impact on me. And I think, yeah, broadly it does bring up issues of mental health and potentially the taboo around it. Oh my it. God, it is such a taboo. And I think that is definitely a negative side effect of being unable to express our emotions. I mean, I think, you know, disorders like depression, anxiety or any other mental disorder are often quite dismissed and seen as quite selfish, yeah. um, which definitely is wrong. But the thing is, and I think how Asian parents often justify is that the hardships that they experienced, especially for people in the Vietnamese community where their generation was marked by war, civil conflict, you know, you're leaving your country by boat, like their hardships were marked by a need to survive. So anything else is secondary, you know, mental health, Anything to yep. do with those kind of issues doesn't really matter because you're fighting for your life. And I think that has definitely just translated into, um, yeah, almost uh, stigmatizing any sort of mental health issues because it's seen as, oh, you're just being selfish. This is, you know, you're not looking after, like, like this is not important. You know, you should be focusing on your studies. You should be focusing your career. You know, why are you so sad? Like, it, it, it doesn't matter. It's not real. Which is, I think, is quite dismissive yeah. and quite unfortunate. And I think um, a lot of Asian, you know, people really do struggle where um, their parents don't really recognize mental health as a valid issue or a valid thing to talk yeah. about. And I think, no, yeah, exactly. And it, like, it's this, I would say, like, related to like a like a vicious cycle. It's like you think, you know, I'm not feeling too good about uni, for example. But it's like I don't want to tell my parents about it because. Um, I don't want them to sort of, I guess, complain, complain or like yeah. say, oh, you know, I don't want them to like mm. nag me and then they'll like drive me into like a deeper hole. Yeah. And then if you don't say anything, you're like in your head and it just, you're going down that spiral of negative thoughts where it's just like, oh, I can't talk to them yeah. about it, but it's like really impacting me. And then if you do talk to them about it, like my parents will just continue to nag me. Like they, they still bring up things from like years ago. Yeah, like they'll they'll bring up things in high school that I did. They're like, "Oh, remember that time you were like super rebellious and had a girlfriend in year eight? Like that that yeah. kind of stuff. Like those actions, like they don't forget. And because there's a history of them, you know, those actions that they continue to do just like bring up you know, bad things you did. It's almost like a reminder yeah. of telling you to not do those things. It's like remember when you did this bad mm -hmm. thing don't mm. do it again and you're probably trained after a certain point to just not mm. tell them and then you're left to deal with it yourself and that's when the negative things start happening and i think so much of that mentality of how they've taught you and how they've sort of ingrained this behavior in you is it's a difference in the the world in which we live in compared to them yeah. we're fortunate enough to grow up in a place where we have choices and i think having choices in all facets of your life uh, whether that be education or you know the clothes we wear you know the options for food options for travel and stuff like that the more choices you have to make in a way leads to more opportunities for disappointment mm. And I think that difference, that, that sort of um, juxtaposes with what our parents went through where, you know, they grew up, this was the standard school, you know, you could only do X, Y, Z. And it was like, okay, what else, what else can I do? Nothing. Like, that, that's all you can do. That's the path you stick on. And there's no room for disappointment. And there's no room to complain because you've got this vanilla template mm. and that's what you follow. Um, and... We, I guess we forget the fact that they're doing this for the first time as well. This is how they were brought up. And obviously they're going to 
they're just going to pass on exactly what they experienced. Yeah. And they're going to... They, they don't know any better in a lot of ways. Like, we know growing up in a Western country better than they do because obviously they didn't understand that. So that idea of having the the choices and all the different factors that could negatively impact mm. us, you know, that's that's not something they experienced. Yeah, for sure. I'm yeah. curious to know though, so did you ever feel, going back to this idea of choices, did you ever feel like your parents ever pressured you into a certain career choice or career path? Yes. <laughs> and I guess, yes. I guess how did you overcome that? Or I guess with consulting now, is this something that, you know, obviously I'm I'm sure your yeah. parents are very proud of you and this this career that you've chosen, but um, was there something you had to explain to them, like consulting, you know? Yeah, okay. So this is actually, yeah, this will be interesting. Um, let's go through what our parents wanted us to do, at, like like career paths, yeah. okay? So this was mine. Um, my whole family thought I was going to become a doctor <laughs> uh, because I was very bright as a mm. young kid. Um, so I think up until the age of 12, I was very, very smart. I'm trying to be as humble as possible, but that, that was kind of like the, <laughs> that, that, that was the space I'm I was sure living in. There. And then for some reason, I hit year seven and it just crashed. Like I was getting the worst grades and, um, you know, that's when like you start going out, you, you start like hanging out with um you know girls and boys and you know puberty kicks in and hormones and all that sort of stuff you get really distracted mm. uh and then they sort of like th- there was a time when it wasn't about like pushing me towards a career it was just pushing me to do better mm. and that basically happened up until yeah 11 or so um i think yeah I, was, I wasn't doing too well at school and i was like i just want to be a chef and they're like no like study um become a lawyer mm. you know that was yeah yeah so so corporate law was what they were pushing mm-hmm. me into um so corporate law or investment banking <laughs> uh, so, so those are those are the two options and then what ended up happening was i did i was like really set on going into doing commerce and i got i like pushed myself super hard in year 12 and ended up burning out at exam time, and I didn't get the I didn't get the ATAR I wanted, and I couldn't do commerce, and that was like, that was that moment was more disappointment for my parents than it might like for myself, mm. and I kind of talked to that as potentially like the lowest point um, I had in my life was just like that that year was just going so well and i could feel like that relationship with my parents getting better it was it was kind of like i you know i was doing better at school you know i was chirpier and you know i was like talking to them about stuff like that and then at the end it was just like i opened up that score and it was just like i just missed out and that was yeah that that stuck with me for a really really long time and you know, for first year uni, like I basically like tried, I kept trying, tr- like trying to transfer out and just didn't work out. And I could, I could feel it. They were, they were trying to be a bit more supportive, like that by no means were they like, you have to do it. Like you have to do this, that sort of thing. You have to do it. But I knew that's what they wanted. Yeah. And it was kind of like, it was, it was really hard telling them that no like I couldn't transfer like twice and so I kind of I kind of stuck with it and I think yeah second year uni I think we talked about in last episode was that moment where it's just like you start understanding yourself a bit more Mm. um in many ways like starting to free yourself from like the shackles of what you grew (laughs) up with yeah (laughs) not in a negative way but just like i think you're just coming into yourself a bit more it's Mm. just like you're rather than having this identity that's intrinsically tied to your parents it becomes something where you're more comfortable in yourself yeah and i think slowly what happened afterwards was okay i stuck with my my bachelor of arts degree which ended up being the happiest mistake of my life um to be honest I, i absolutely loved it really enjoyed it i think 
it would have actually been a bad thing if I studied commerce because I think I would have bombed <laughs> the degree and I would have hated it and I would have been incredibly disillusioned. So I thought mm. I wanted to become an economist and they were like, cool, you know, that that's cool. And then I worked as one for about two and a half years and then didn't want to do that. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try this consulting thing. And then if I don't like that, I was just going to do academia. And then now at this point, they're like, yeah, that's... That, that's so fine like we're proud we're proud of you Aww. which is great you know um you can do whatever you want but like they know that i will make good decisions yeah. from this point and it's it's really really nice having that relationship with them where it's like they they trust yeah. you yeah. you know um and i think that's that's a key thing potentially why they push you so hard because they think you know you don't know better for yourself yes like, I completely understand. Um, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so they, it's it's just really nice getting to that point now where they they're like, yeah, you you do what you need to do, and yeah, we we believe in you and we we have faith. Aww. So yeah, that's that's, that's really really nice. That's yeah. very beautiful. Yeah. What about you? Um, interesting. I mean, I think it was one of those things where my parents were surprisingly quite relaxed about career paths if that makes sense I mean I think it was one of those things where there was that trust involved um surprisingly quite early on um Mm. I mean I was you know a classic like a student at school I love school so I think my parents saw that that I had performed well academically I think they were quite um uh, more relaxed about kind of where I was heading, if that makes sense. Like they knew I was going to go to uni and they knew that I wanted to go to this uni and stuff like that. So I think they were a bit more relaxed um, as, you know, when I graduated year 12, when I started my degree. I mean, at first they were kind of like, what is a Bachelor of Arts? What does that mean? They, were, they thought <laughs> I had pursued something like like actual arts, like visual arts. Like painting? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, what? <laughs> But I had to explain to them and I was like, no, it's like a generalist degree, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, it was one of those things where, I, you know, I do remember them kind of pushing me to be like, oh, how about like law and like being a doctor? And like, I remember them encouraging me to look at these potential careers. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, you know, my parents didn't enforce the Asian five on me, like in my year 12 subjects. Like, I'm sure they're not going to do that. Oh, thank God. Same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I actually, that was actually ne- never a thing in my life, which I'm very grateful for. But I think because I had the freedom to do what I wanted, ironically, I've like kind of gone back and I'm now pursuing law. So it's kind of worked out in like a weird, ironic way where, Ooh, yeah, yeah, like it's almost like reverse psychology because they were like, cool, we trust you, what do what you want. <laughs> but do what you want. I, I say that in a very restricted sense. Do what you want that will earn you some sort of financial security, not pursue yeah. arts or whatever. Um, but ironically, like I'm now studying law and I'd want to become a lawyer. So I think it's really interesting kind of seeing that kind of evolve. Um, so I think in that sense, I mean, I remember telling my parents I got into law school and they were super happy. And I think it was one of those moments where were like, oh my God, the relief, you know, like Thank an Asian God, kid yeah. made it, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I do mean it when I say that I think I, I take so much gratitude in their parenting style insofar as they did allow me the freedom to kind of do what I wanted to do. Um, and I actually, I feel like that really goes back to the idea of sacrifice. Like, I don't know about you, but my parents came to Australia with virtually nothing. You know, they built essentially their livelihoods and businesses from the ground up. Um, but I never really felt like I was deprived of any opportunity. Um, you know, especially because I went to a private school where the socioeconomic stratas are typically centered around wealthy families and, you know, money essentially. But I never felt restricted. I never felt like, um, you know, my, my world was limited to certain yeah. things. And I think growing up um, in an environment where I felt like I had the opportunity to explore a lot of different things even though there may be hobbies in my later life, like, you know, music or whatnot. Um, yeah. I think that really allowed me the room to explore who I am, um, unpack, if I can say that, um, the type of person <laughs> that I am and that I want to be. And ironically, it's worked out where it's kind of 
almost fit into like their mold of what they I guess would picture like you know a uh how do I say it you know a an Asian career that makes sense I say that quote unquote yeah yeah so it's been interesting um, <laughs> yeah for sure and just before we get in just before I get on that sacrifice thing um the idea of like an Asian career I think oh, so yeah your, your parents will never understand what you do no. they're more attached to the idea of what that job has like yeah. it's brand essentially mm. um and then i sent isabella an article the other day it was about um a partner at a really big law firm um so she was the daughter of refugees mm. and basically the most relatable quote in that whole article was my parents don't know what i do they just think it's nice that i go to an office and that's basically asian careers summed up in one quote that's all you need to know (laughs) that's all you need to know they like the idea that you go to an office in the cbd that probably has an elevator (laughs) and that's it you've made it if you if you get that you've made it no no questions asked you've made it with a foyer and everything yeah Um, so i I think that really does yeah i mean i think it's one of those things where jeff and i have such silly experiences where there's so much hardship that's involved in um, growing up in an immigrant household. And actually, we didn't even touch upon this, but the idea of, okay, so do you want to talk about this, Jeff, where the idea where you had to kind of ration going out when you were in high school or... Oh, true, <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't even talk about this. I guess it's like um, one of the funnier points. And this, I thought I was maybe the only one who did this but you know Isabel you said you did Mm -hmm. this and then I've talked to a couple other people so like when I guess like you said I started going out a lot more in like uni because obviously there's there's less class time less contact hours and stuff like that but I would always like quote-unquote ration (laughs) the days I go out so for example if there was a party on Thursday and there was one on Tuesday I would never go out to both of them Mm-hmm. And my friends would never understand that, you know, mm-hmm. they're like, why? Because it's like, and then you would explain to them, oh, you know, like, I don't want to, I don't want to make my parents angry. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it wasn't even the sense that they didn't like me going out. They just wanted me home. Yeah. You know, they wanted me to like be at home to eat dinner. And we, we don't even talk that much. When we <laughs> eat. Like it's a lot of the time we just like eat in silence. But they just wanted me home. And I think a lot, I was thinking about this actually, potentially it's just to do with minimizing the opportunities you have to bring shame to your family. <laughs> Dishonor on you. <laughs> like you go out, yeah, you go out, you get way too pissed. And you know, like that's, that's bad. Like what if, what if a family friend sees you like screaming down the street? Exactly. Like, that's that's the we're song. everywhere we're so everywhere you were the same oh 100 percent. Right? i remember yeah, yeah it's like if you had a party on tuesday party on thursday it was either that you didn't you had to choose between one, the, one or the other or you had to stay completely yeah. at home on wednesday and like be good um but it's weird because yeah. i feel like even like, it's never said you know like it's never like my parents saying explicitly to no. me if you go out now or if you go out today you have to be home tomorrow in the next couple of days before you go out on friday exactly. it, it's it's not like that it's this silent yeah. um, burden that you feel is imposed upon you. And I actually almost feel guilty when I go out like three nights in a row because I'm like, oh my God, I'm not yeah. home. I haven't seen my parents and I haven't had yeah. dinner with them in a while. Um, so I think it's so interesting and so funny that this weight of yeah. expectations, honestly, still, like it's still here. Like I still sometimes feel guilty about going out too oh, often, same. too much, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, isolation has been like, great oh. for that. <laughs> Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, um, and I think, yeah, isolation's been a really, it's been an, it's been a great time um, for reflection. And yeah. I think a lot of people are doing the same thing. And in preparing for this episode, I was thinking about yeah, the idea of sacrifices for our parent from our parents, and like my parents came here, and the the person like. I, I like to think about a lot more is actually my dad mm. because um, back in China, he had a good paying job. Like he was um, working for 
it, I'm sure some people have had like Singtao beers, like the Chinese, like Qingdao mm, beers, mm, the China mm, beer, mm. Chinese beers. Yeah. Um, so he was working for that company and, you know, he was doing really, really well. And, you know, I, w- I just never saw him. And in order to, you know, come, you know, be with me and to not be away from me so much time, you know, he gave up his well-paying job and he like opened up a gift shop. Mm. And I always think about that for my dad, like someone who's... So my, my mom didn't go to university, but my dad did. So obviously, like a smart, well-educated person. And like, I just think about the fact that he was just, you know, owning this like $2 shop yeah. for, for how many, many years. It's like how... Like if you relate that now, it's like just think about like going through all this uni or you get up to like some sort of like manager or like director position and then you just suddenly stop yeah. and you do like menial tasks for the rest of your life. And, you know, my dad doesn't really have too, too many friends here either. And yeah, I can, I always just think about like what, like he gave up and obviously like my mom as well, but yeah, I, I didn't really consider it until this point. Like I just, I just thought like, Oh, you know, you know, dad came back and, you know, just, just to be with me. But now you think about it and he gave up not only, you know, this high position, but he gave up potentially just like a stimulating Mm. life in some ways, just like in that position. I was going to say as well, um, I think what makes it more heart wrenching is the fact that it's often silent. There's this idea of a silent sacrifice where, you know, I never knew of the hardships of my parents I definitely endured mm. you know it was all just a bubble to me like I knew they worked really really hard to provide for me but this was never made explicit you know so I think that what's that is what makes it particularly more yeah like I said heart-wrenching because it's it's the silence it's a, sorry it's the sacrifice and this hardship that they endure in silence and I guess this relates to the idea of you know Asians not being able to express their emotions um which I think is, you know, something that I wish I was able to share with my parents. But they would never do that, you know. They would never impose their burdens and, uh, I guess, their hardships onto their children because that's, like, the last thing they want to do. They're doing this for their children because there's this unconditional love and they want to provide for them. And any sacrifice is worth it. Um, So I think there's this enormous sense that's in me now of guilt and gratitude and it's, like how can we ever repay our parents like it's almost insurmountable you know and it's yeah it's yeah. really hard to grapple with it, it's it, you feel so well wow, i'm like i'm even tearing up now you know it, it's it's really big burden and um yeah it's very grateful you know yeah it's yeah the, the idea of like paying back your parents yeah. like what can you what can you i have ideas i have i definitely have ideas um like my my mom wants to like own this like house <laughs> um in the in England yeah. like in the countryside and which is like lots of like she just wants like a little garden there and that's like yeah I want to oh my god I'm getting <laughs> <emotional>. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> um, and yeah that, like she always talks about it and you know my dad kind of wants he just wants like the i don't know he, he just wants like to yeah. like time to you know i think he wants to go back to university so if i can if i can just provide that yeah. for them maybe yeah maybe i'll feel better about it i know what you mean i mean it's it's um it's hard right like you know i to this day like my parents we live very comfortably now. They've worked incredibly hard. But I remember my dad telling me that, you know, his biggest goal when he moved to Australia was honestly just to make $100 a day and to provide food for the family and to make sure that I got a good education, you know. like And I think um, seeing, like, the... Like, seeing that is so humbling. And, um, yeah, it really makes you remember your roots, you know. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. I think yeah, um, I've really uh, I've really started to come to terms. I think with why um, my I guess like my relationships, with my mom is it is what it is. Yeah, I think 
when my mum was growing up, she was considered slightly more rogue. Mm. Um, I don't know the whole... Actually, I don't... One fun fact, I actually don't know a lot, a lot about my parents' like, childhoods yeah. and then like teenage yeah. years and them growing up because it's just not something they... I've, I've heard, I've felt glimpses and I've slowly started to put yeah. the picture together. But I think my mum was considered like a bit more on the wild side <laughs> and like she you know she she like came to australia when she was like 20 something with no plans like she just came with like she she told me like a few a few sets of clothes a blanket and a rice cooker and she went to sydney and she like lived in a share house for i think it was like six years or something and just like worked as a waitress and you know lived her best life <laughs> kind of a like thing and i think she maybe realizes the that that's not the right thing to do um like stability is a better path to walk on and i think maybe that's why she's emphasized that to me so much like the idea of like you you go out and you know you seek the stable the low risk path and i think as i've gotten older she's slowly just realized that her and i are the same (laughs) like the idea of like um like last year i took um i went on a gap year holiday and i traveled to 28 countries Mm, amazing and you know i was away for away like over half a year and she would like she kept telling me like i have to defend you (laughs) so much with the rest of the family right. with all my friends because they're like why would would you send yeah. your like why would you let your kid like yeah, do that sort yeah. of stuff and i think like that's her way of telling me like yeah you and i are yeah. the same yeah and it's yeah that was that was a really really nice realization and i think one thing that i've decided i really want to do and potentially um if the listeners want to sort of join in on that is for upcoming mother's day i think i'm going to sit my parents down and just tell them you know like just let's have a let's have a straight up talk (laughs) of me just telling you like thank you like i i don't want to have all this like weird tension or not even tension just like Maybe misalignment of like what we mm-hmm. feel. I just wanna, I just wanna put it out on the table, mm-hmm. you know. I just want them to know, and I think that will, I think that will just make our relationship better. And it, for me, it's like, for me, it's almost like a burden on myself. Mm. Like, I want them to know, but it's it's just not something we can do. Like, it's just not something we say and. Yeah, that's 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 what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So if you know, if the listeners want to join in on that, yeah, um, potentially this is the time to do it. And yeah, let us let us know your thoughts and let us know if you actually end up doing that and how oh it goes. My God. If you can, please um, record it. It too. is. Would love yeah. to see reactions. Actually, actually, yeah, yeah. yeah no, you, you go. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I was no, gonna say, go. there's actually a pretty funny video we might link as well where. Um, it's like Asian kids telling I love you to their parents. And the reactions are hilarious. If I want to end this on a light note, it's like parents being like, are you drunk? Like, go back to work. Like, you know, like it's very, I think it's something that Asian parents don't hear often because they don't expect it. So, yeah, I, I think it'd be a very beautiful thing to do. Um, I think it'll be really hard at first. I think getting, getting, oh, it's gonna be getting so over hard. that really awkward uh initial kind of stage but i think it'll be worth it yeah, yeah. i mean like i'm probably gonna have a few <laughs> and then like practice my speech in front of a mirror for a few hours <laughs> why is it so hard but that's like, the thing. it's like i don't experience with my friends or my relationships you know like it's it comes yeah no. like, i feel like it hasn't reflected in that relation in those relationships but with my parents it's so different um yeah. even with my sister actually um, even though she was brought up in like a Western country like me, like, I mean, she's 12, so I don't think, um, she has the, uh, 
I guess the emotional maturity to unpack all these different things that we're talking about right now um, and to realize the significance of it. But even then, like, it's still weird for me to say that kind of thing to her. Even though I do feel like it was expressed a lot when we were kids, as in when I was younger and she was like a baby and everything. Um, but yeah, interesting to see how that changes when we grow up. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've, I've been like hyping myself up about it for like a few weeks now. Like I'm going to, I'm going to do, do it. it. And that, that like, I'm going to do it. And I think that was kind of what inspired this episode. Yeah. Um, so you'll see from the title, it's called Dear Mum and yeah. Dad. And the idea is that, you know, we, I think a lot of us have maybe not yet come to terms with, you know, why we were brought up in this way. And perhaps you don't understand it, potentially you don't rationalize it, potentially you just don't want to think about it because it was, you know, maybe not the happiest time, but hopefully maybe hearing about the experiences that Isabella and I have gone through, um, you'll see parallels. You'll be able to, you know, say, yep, yep, I went through the same thing. And yes, like that's, those are the feelings that I have. And I think, yeah, coming to terms with that, just it it will allow you to remove some of those negative feelings that you associated with your childhood and maybe even at your parents. Um, I know I was, you know, angry with them for a really really long time like why can't I just have you know a white childhood why can't I just like be more free and like why am I so restricted but again so grateful that's the thing right um (laughs) yeah I think that I find that having conversations with people who've been through the same things as I have really does help like even hearing about Jeff's stories before we talked about this um it's really nice to know that you're not the only one, that you weren't the only one who was deprived of being able to go out consecutively. Um, in my case as well, <laughs> I wasn't allowed to go on sleepovers actually, um, which I think many Asian girls can relate to. Um, maybe not so much about the Asian boys out there. Um, but yeah, you, you do grow up and understand that there was a reason for all of these measures. And at the end of the day, like, the sacrifices that our parents have made is honestly like unrepayable if that's the word um so I think it does make it worth it but at the same time it doesn't validate um any hardships that any child of immigrant parents have endured and I think having those conversations and understanding um why your parents did the things that they did is a really good way to unpack that (laughs) Um, again, <laughs> again, so I, again. So I, that's the second that's the second count. hey that's not too bad that's not too sure. bad <laughs> um so i guess this is the podcast at least is a good first step um as a platform to centralize um these conversations and our resources and i guess a community about these experiences and yeah you may have seen um oh if you don't follow us yet follow us on instagram and Facebook, <laughs> gotta go do a slap, gotta do a small plug there. But um, we've been starting to do some, we've been expanding on the ways we're trying to interact with you guys as our audience. Um, we want to not only be this podcast, but also a, a place of learning where we show you things that interest us. Um, we show you people that interest us. Um, so. Our, our goal is for this to be more than just a place where, you know, you listen to us yap about experiences or like random thoughts. It's all about, it's all more about um, <clears throat> redirecting you into other places so that you can gain a broader understanding of, you know, everything to do with the Asian community. And we'd love to hear your feedback on um, this move. Um, also, again, we always stress this, but feel free to shoot some messages anytime. We, we actually love, we love hearing from yeah, listeners. We love them. Um, but, like, it doesn't have to be just, like, uh, any any sort of, like, you know, messages of love or anything. Like, if you have any thoughts or criticism or anything, like, we're an absolute open book and we'll try to get back to you as fast as possible. Yeah. But, yeah, that's, that, that, that's, that's our mission. We want to... <sighs> We want to grow. We want to provide you with more info. We want to make it personable. 
um, relatable and yeah that's that's kind of the the vision of as I am so thank you so much for listening uh, Jeff and I didn't expect to cry and laugh this much as we've had on no, this episode I don't I don't really cry <laughs> that often so that was that was interesting <laughs> but good I feel I feel I feel actually very good after that like, yeah um, gotten something yeah that was very cathartic so, yeah yeah um we hope you guys have been able to relate or at least gotten something out of this and we'll see you next time see you later